section twenty of the three impostors by arthur Mackin. this librivox recording is in the public domain part two of history of the young man with spectacles a week later it was on the sixteenth of the month dr lipsius made me a sign to come into his room it is for to-night he began please to attend carefully to what i am going to say mr walters and on peril of your life for it is a dangerous matter on peril of your life i say follow these instructions to the letter you understand well to-night at about half-past seven you will stroll quietly up the hampstead road till you come to vincent street turn down here and walk along taking the third turning to your right which is lambert terrace then follow the terrace cross the road and go along hertford street and so to lillington square the second turning you will come to in the square is called sheen street but in reality it is more a passage between blank walls than a street whatever you do take care to be at the corner of this street at eight o'clock precisely you will walk along it and just at the bend where you lose sight of the square you will find an old gentleman with a white beard and whiskers he will in all probability be abusing a cabman for having brought him to sheen street instead of cheney street you will go up to him quietly and offer your services he will tell you where he wants to go and you will be so courteous as to offer to show him the way i may say that professor memis moved into cheney street a month ago thus mr headley has never been to see him there and moreover he is very short-sighted and knows little of the topography of london indeed he has quite lived the life of a learned hermit at audley hall well need i say more to a man of your intelligence you will bring him to this house he will ring the bell and a servant in quiet livery will let him in then your work will be done and i am sure done well you will leave mr headley at the door and simply continue your walk and i shall hope to see you the next day i really don't think there is anything more i can tell you these minute instructions i took care to carry out to the letter i confess that i walked up the tottenham court road by no means blindly but with an uneasy sense that i was coming to a decisive point in my life the noise and rumour of the crowded pavements were to me but dumb show i revolved again and again in ceaseless iteration the task that had been laid on me and i questioned myself as to the possible results as i got near the point of turning i asked myself whether danger were not about my steps the cold thought struck me that i was suspected and observed and every chance foot passenger who gave me a second glance seemed to me an officer of police my time was running out the sky had darkened and i hesitated half resolved to go no farther but to abandon lipsius and his friend for ever i had almost determined to take this course when the conviction suddenly came to me that the whole thing was a gigantic joke a fabrication of rank improbability who could have procured the information about the armenian agent i asked myself 
by what means could lipsius have known the particular day and the very train that mr headley was to take how to engage him to enter one special cab amongst the dozens waiting at paddington i vowed it a mere milesian tale and went forward merrily turned down vincent street and threaded out the route that lipsius had so carefully impressed upon me the various streets he had named were all places of silence and an oppressive cheap gentility it was dark and i felt alone in the musty squares and crescents where people pattered by at intervals and the shadows were growing blacker i entered sheen street and found it as lipsius had said more a passage than a street it was a byway on one side a low wall and neglected gardens and grim backs of a line of houses and on the other a timber-yard i turned the corner and lost sight of the square and then to my astonishment i saw the scene of which i had been told a handsome cab had come to a stop beside the pavement and an old man carrying a handbag was fiercely abusing the cabman who sat on his perch the image of bewilderment yes but i'm sure you said sheen street that's where i brought you i heard him saying as i came up and the old gentleman boiled in a fury and threatened police and suits at law the sight gave me a shock and in an instant i resolved to go through with it i strolled on and without noticing the cabman lifted my hat politely to old mr headley pardon me sir i said but is there any difficulty i see you are a traveller perhaps the cabman has made a mistake can i direct you the old fellow turned to me and i noticed that he snarled and showed his teeth like an ill-tempered cur as he spoke this drunken fool has brought me here he said i told him to drive me to cheney street and he brings me to this infernal place i won't pay him a farthing and i meant to have given him a handsome sum i am going to call for the police and give him in charge at this threat the cabman seemed to take alarm he glanced round as if to make sure that no policeman was in sight and drove off grumbling loudly and mr headley grinned savagely with satisfaction at having saved his fare and put back one and sixpence into his pocket the handsome sum the cabman had lost my dear sir i said i am afraid this piece of stupidity has annoyed you a great deal it is a long way to cheney street and you will have some difficulty in finding the place unless you know london pretty well i know it very little he replied i never come up except on important business and i've never been to cheney street in my life really i should be happy to show you the way i have been for a stroll and it will not at all inconvenience me to take you to your destination i want to go to professor memis at number fifteen it's most annoying to me i'm short-sighted and i can never make out the numbers on the doors this way if you please i said and we set out i did not find mr headley an agreeable man indeed he grumbled the whole way he informed me of his name and i took care to say the well-known antiquary and thenceforth i was compelled to listen to the history of his complicated squabbles with publishers who had treated him as he said disgracefully the man was a chapter in the irritability of authors he told me that he had been on the point of making the fortune of several firms 
but he had been compelled to abandon the design owing to their rank ingratitude besides these ancient histories of wrong and the more recent misadventure of the cabman he had another grievous complaint to make as he came along in the train he had been sharpening a pencil and the sudden jolt of the engine as it drew up at a station had driven the penknife against his face inflicting a small triangular wound just on the cheekbone which he showed me he denounced the railway company heaped imprecations on the head of the driver and talked of claiming damages thus he grumbled all the way not noticing in the least where he was going and so unamiable did his conduct appear to me that i began to enjoy the trick i was playing on him nevertheless my heart beat a little faster as we turned into the street where lipsius was waiting a thousand accidents i thought might happen some chance might bring one of headley's friends to meet us perhaps though he knew not cheney street he might know the street where i was taking him in spite of his short sight he might possibly make out the number or in a sudden fit of suspicion he might make an inquiry of the policeman at the corner thus every step upon the pavement as we drew nearer to the goal was to me a pang and a terror and every approaching passenger carried a certain threat of danger i gulped down my excitement with an effort and made shift to say pretty quietly number fifteen i think you said that is the third house from this if you will allow me i will leave you now i have been delayed a little and my way lies on the other side of tottenham court road he snarled out some kind of thanks and i turned my back and walked swiftly in the opposite direction a minute or two later i looked round and saw mr headley standing on the doorstep and then the door opened and he went in for my part i gave a sigh of relief i hastened to get away from the neighbourhood and endeavoured to enjoy myself in merry company the whole of the next day i kept away from lipsius i felt anxious but i did not know what had happened or what was happening and a reasonable regard for my own safety told me that i should do well to remain quietly at home my curiosity however to learn the end of the odd drama in which i had played a part stung me to the quick and late in the evening i made up my mind to see how events had turned out lipsius nodded when i came in and asked me if i could give him five minutes talk we went into his room and he began to walk up and down while i sat waiting for him to speak my dear mr walters he said at length i congratulate you warmly your work was done in the most thorough and artistic manner you will go far look he went to his escritoire and pressed a secret spring a drawer flew out and he laid something on the table it was a gold coin i took it up and examined it eagerly and read the legend about the figure of the fawn victoria i said smiling yes it was a great capture which we owe to you i had a great difficulty in persuading mr headley that a little mistake had been made that was how i put it he was very disagreeable and indeed ungentlemanly about it didn't he strike you as a very cross old man i held the coin admiring the choice and rare design clear-cut as if from the mint and i thought the fine gold glowed and burnt like a lamp and what finally became of mr headley i said at last lipsius smiled and shrugged his shoulders what on earth does it matter he said 
he might be here or there or anywhere but what possible consequence could it be besides your question rather surprises me you are an intelligent man mr walters just think it over and i'm sure you won't repeat the question my dear sir i said i hardly think you are treating me fairly you have paid me some handsome compliments on my share in the capture and i naturally wish to know how the matter ended from what i saw of mr headley i should think you must have had some difficulty with him he gave me no answer for the moment but began to walk up and down the room apparently absorbed in thought well he said at last i suppose there is something in what you say we are certainly indebted to you i have said that i have a high opinion of your intelligence mr walters just look here will you he opened a door communicating with another room and pointed there was a great box lying on the floor a queer coffin-shaped thing i looked at it and saw it was a mummy case like those in the british museum vividly painted in the brilliant egyptian colours with i knew not what proclamation of dignity or hopes of life immortal the mummy swathed about in the robes of death was lying within and the face had been uncovered you are going to send this away i said forgetting the question i had put yes i have an order from a local museum look a little more closely mr walters puzzled by his manner i peered into the face while he held up the lamp the flesh was black with the passing of the centuries but as i looked i saw upon the right cheekbone a small triangular scar and the secret of the mummy flashed upon me i was looking at the dead body of the man whom i had decoyed into that house there was no thought or design of action in my mind i held the accursed coin in my hand burning me with a foretaste of hell and i fled as i would have fled from pestilence and death and dashed into the street in blind horror not knowing where i went i felt the gold coin grasped in my clenched fist and throwing it away i knew not where i ran on and on through by-streets and dark ways till at last i issued out into a crowded thoroughfare and checked myself then as consciousness returned i realized my instant peril and understood what would happen if i fell into the hands of lipsius i knew that i had put forth my finger to thwart a relentless mechanism rather than a man my recent adventure with the unfortunate mr headley had taught me that lipsius had agents in all quarters and i foresaw that if i fell into his hands he would remain true to his doctrine of style and cause me to die a death of some horrible and ingenious torture i bent my whole mind to the task of outwitting him and his emissaries three of whom i knew to have proved their ability for tracking down persons who for various reasons preferred to remain obscure these servants of lipsius were two men and a woman and the woman was incomparably the most subtle and the most deadly yet i considered that i too had some portion of craft and i took my resolve since then i have matched myself day by day and hour by hour against the ingenuity of lipsius and his myrmidons for a time i was successful though they beat furiously after me in the covert of london i remained perdu and i watched with some amusement their frantic efforts to recover the scent lost in two or three minutes 
every lure and wile was put forth to entice me from my hiding-place i was informed by the medium of the public prints that what i had taken had been recovered and meetings were proposed in which i might hope to gain a great deal without the slightest risk i laughed at their endeavours and began a little to despise the organization i had so dreaded and ventured more abroad not once or twice but several times i recognized the two men who were charged with my capture and i succeeded in eluding them easily at close quarters and a little hastily i decided that i had nothing to dread and that my craft was greater than theirs but in the meanwhile while i congratulated myself on my cunning the third of lipsius emissaries was weaving her nets and in an evil hour i paid a visit to an old friend a literary man named russell who lived in a quiet street in bayswater the woman as i found out too late a day or two ago occupied rooms in the same house and i was followed and tracked down too late as i have said i recognized that i had made a fatal mistake and that i was besieged sooner or later i shall find myself in the power of an enemy without pity and so surely as i leave this house i shall go to receive doom i hardly dare to guess how it will at last fall upon me my imagination always a vivid one paints to me appalling pictures of the unspeakable torture which i shall probably endure and i know that i shall die with lipsius standing near and gloating over the refinements of my suffering and my shame hours nay minutes have become very precious to me i sometimes pause in the midst of anticipating my tortures to wonder whether even now i cannot hit upon some supreme stroke some design of infinite subtlety to free myself from the toils but i find that the faculty of combination has left me i am as the scholar in the old myth deserted by the power which has helped me hitherto i do not know when the supreme moment will come but sooner or later it is inevitable before long i shall receive sentence and from the sentence to execution will not be long i cannot remain here a prisoner any longer i shall go out to-night when the streets are full of crowds and clamours and make a last effort to escape it was with profound astonishment that dyson closed the little book and thought of the strange series of incidents which had brought him into touch with the plots and counterplots connected with the gold tiberius he had bestowed the coin carefully away and he shuddered at the bare possibility of its place of deposit becoming known to the evil band who seemed to possess such extraordinary sources of information it had grown late while he read and he put the pocket-book away hoping with all his heart that the unhappy walters might even at the eleventh hour escape the doom he dreaded End of History of the Young Man with Spectacles